Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Now, Christian, you are studying that can of Trader Joe's brand Hefeweizen. Is there any problem with your beer that I offer no, no, to no. you? No, 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 there's, there's no problem. I, I like looking at where it was canned. I like looking at what the ABV is. Exciting. Exciting stuff. Am I getting you wasted? Tonight, or uh, are you going to be all right? On a 5.3% alcohol by volume of a 12 fluid ounce beer, no. Okay, good to know. want to make sure that the analysis you bring to these brief reviews we'll be doing later in the show is going to be salient, hard-hitting, no edge lost. It's not going to be at all, <laughs> but that's that's just that's just going to be my... Um, starting, it's honestly funny, starting next week I told you... I think that I'm going to start giving like a fun fact about either the fermentation process of beer, the brewing process, what happens to it, how it gets canned, or what the different types of beer are. Don't say you don't learn nothing from this podcast, folks. We're teaching you about all sorts of topics. Which is now doubly funny when you think about what next month's keg is going to be. Oh, it's going to be fun. (laughs) And I'll share more about it at the end of the show today. Uh, but Christian, yes. this should be a fun episode. We're going to be sharing some recommendations yes. for supernatural horror films, more so hidden gems, not some of the big hits in the classics, which we covered a few of them this past month. But I'm excited because I have not heard of most of the movies that you are recommending on the show, or at least I hadn't heard of them until you mentioned them to me. How did I do in terms of you not knowing the movies that I was bringing to the show? I, I have heard of all of the ones that you did. Okay. And uh, I have seen one of them. Okay. So some true hidden gems from your list. Some maybe not not quite the deep end, but not the shallow end either for me. You know, we're the four foot, five foot range in the pool. <laughs> well, I wanted to... I didn't want to choose something that was from a major franchise. So... I know that you were watching some of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Like, yes. even if, say that I'm a big fan of a Nightmare on Elm Street 4, I haven't seen it, but say that I'm a big fan of a Nightmare on Elm Street 4, I didn't want to do that as a hidden gem because people have heard of a Nightmare on Elm Street. Or I didn't want to do a John Carpenter movie, despite the fact that it's it's really cool, some of the movies that he has, because I think John Carpenter's a major name. All of mine were... I, I, I really was just like, have I heard of any of these? Um, one of mine, I think, is semi-known, just because it's got a major star who was a major star at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's, that's the one that I had definitely heard of before before we started doing some homework and sharing lists. Yeah. Before it, we get into that, I know that you had a few things on your mind you wanted to get out of the way, so let me snag those three-ounce tasting glasses. we got a, a few topics just to touch on before we get into... Our recommendations here for some supernatural horror, but Christian, I turn back to you. What what's on your mind for this week's episode? This past Friday, we were in a very very packed theater, and we were able to see all three hours and twenty six minutes of Killers of the Flower Moon. I made you sit till the end of the credits, my friend. So we I, we I, did see every, I did pee. every minute. You did take a pee break during the credits. You held it the entire time. Proud of you there. But I at least saw three hours and 26 minutes. You caught three hours and probably 24 minutes and 30 seconds. But yes, we did get to see Martin Scorsese's latest, Killers of the Flower Moon, which 
did surprisingly well at the box office this last weekend, considering it did it's a Taylor Swift the Eras tour. Did it? It de- yes, I think so. Actually, it did better this the second weekend there. Well, whether or not Marty dethroned Taylor, it did do very good business, especially for a three and a half hour long historical film, and not one coming from Christopher Nolan. Although Martin Scorsese is a very known commodity in movies these days. The tweets are so funny of people talking about how Taylor Swift the Eras tour was playing at the theater next to them or the screening room next to them. So grateful that didn't happen to us because as much as I enjoy the Eras tour and as much as I enjoy Taylor Swift. Like we are never getting back together as terrible atrocities are happening to the Osage people. No, no, I definitely do not. And just just as a lead in, in case folks are still out of the blue on what this new movie is about. It is adapting David Grant's book of the same name, which traced and er, tracked rather and uh, did research into the Osage murders, which happened in the 1920s and 30s. There was oil discovered on Osage land and people moved down in droves to Oklahoma where it was found to get jobs and build out the town there. And of course, um, Bad stuff started happening to the Osage people who became very, very, very wealthy because based on what they found, a series of murders started happening uh, over the over the decade, and ultimately it helped to contribute to the birth of the FBI. Although at this time they were simply the Bureau of Investigation, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But the book and the film traces some events that happened before this through many of the murders, focusing in on one particular family and the one person who was actually brought to justice for his role in the killings, and ultimately shares a little bit of an epilogue related to the story as well. So, Christian, what did you think? Because we're seeing some pretty rapturous reviews of Killers of the Flower Moon so far. A lot of five-star letterboxed ratings, a lot of really strong reviews from critics at newspapers and podcasts and whatever, whatever, whatever outlet you might want to think of. So, I know that you have not been afraid to go against the grain with some of Martin Scorsese's movies before, so what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? I like it. I don't love it. And I realize one of the reasons why I don't love it is in a three-hour and 26-minute film talking about atrocities that have been committed against the Osage and prominently well, making sure that it had Osage actors in those parts, it felt... Like, it also sidelined them a little bit. Which has been my biggest kind of quandary with this film. The patience and the way in which human... not Like, I don't know, evil... It is shown, is done so very intelligently. It's... I have... I don't know, I just... In a three hour and 26 minute movie, it feels like, okay, if you're gonna make a movie this long, why not feature more of the people that you're trying to represent? Or cut it so that it looks like there's a higher percentage of those people being here? And that became, uh, yeah, do I think the movie is very long? I do think the movie is very long. Well, but it, it, just, it just is very long. <laughs> it, it's, just, it's, I've been struggling with that. Yes, you know, technically it's it's very well, and the performances are absolutely amazing across the board. But I keep coming back to, I, I keep coming back to that question as to it. Almost ironically, what you were trying to say happened to these people almost seems to have happened in the making of the film. 
I think that's a really interesting point, and I know it's something that we've talked about. We talked about after our screening, and I had heard that from someone who actually worked on the movie. I'm forgetting his name, but he was an Osage language and cultural consultant for Scorsese and the production team, and he shares his thoughts on the red carpet, echoing those those very sentiments. And I think it is it's a very good conversation to have about the movie and. What's good about it is I don't think this is a movie that is disrespectful to the Osage in any way, especially right. being made by Scorsese, who is a, a white man making this story about Native Americans, which has been done disrespectfully in Hollywood many times over. But you also have some people taking, or I, I guess I would say, on the pro side of the film and its approach. One of the actresses who's involved in the film uh, is named Kara Jade Myers, playing one of the sisters in this particular family that has multiple members who are murdered. And she shared some thoughts basically saying, I feel proud to have been in this movie. I'm very glad that Martin Scorsese wanted to make this movie, but I do hope that it opens the door. And this is one of those movies at the beginning of a trend, not not one that doesn't start a trend at all. And we start to see more Native American stories told by Native American artists, writers, filmmakers, directors, um, I know Reservation Dogs is a show on FX that is from a Native perspective, and it people love that show. So hopefully with the, the success of Reservation Dogs and now Killers of the Flower Moon, hopefully we do start to see some, some change in how Hollywood addresses our Native tribes and, and the parts of our history, good or bad, uh, not shying away from the bad and, and not being afraid to search for and celebrate the good. I think with my personal thoughts on the movie... I, I'm maybe a little more positive than you. Wouldn't say that I loved it. Probably not my favorite Scorsese movie, but I did really, really like it. And I found it to just be pretty powerful work of history. I, I think the length ultimately is earned, too, really just because you get to see the way that this community changes. And it feels lengthy, girthy, <laughs> like it's a big movie. And you see the way it changes from beginning to end. And I think that length is used to its advantage. And in the same way that Roger Ebert once said... There's no good movie too sh- too long and no uh, I should say no he says no good movie too short and no bad movie too long I think is uh, maybe I got that backwards basically if a movie if you think a movie is good it'll always be too short for you if you think a movie's bad it'll always be too long for you a 90 minute movie could be bad and you wish it would end sooner you know so I sort of take that that stance and that I felt like it used the runtime well I, I don't know if I'll ever like fire it up at home. <laughs> without clearing out my it's afternoon. It's not a but... fun movie. No, no. It's, it's not, not a movie that is begging you to rewatch it. It's... I, I... I don't know. I'm... Well, it's not that I'm torn on my feelings so much in that it's... I've, I've kind of made up my mind on the movie. It's just that I'm torn as to how much I should attribute to the ethics of making this movie a little bit torn as to what would this have been more effective as a miniseries it it kind of feels like it would have been a very effective miniseries as well i will almost always say no to that question because i'm a i'm movies over everything when it comes to my approach to to art entertainment but here's also where we differ and i it's it's i love movies i see movies more than i see tv shows however i don't think movies are the ultimate pinnacle of the form i think that all media is is similar to each other you just need to find which medium works best for the material that you have yeah i mean the last thing i guess we can say about it is that regarding the length you know 
I, I just don't know if I would have rather this been a four-episode event that gets lost in the streaming service, you know? It would or, not have been lost. It would have been a from Martin Scorsese starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone and Robert De Niro. Eight episodes, each one of which at the end as a fade out, it would have been an awful, awful feeling in your gut and you would have tuned in the following week to see what else was going on. Sure. It would have been a major event. But I'm not really... I, I Sure, it would have been a big event now. I'm talking about 10, 25, 50 years from now. There are not a lot of miniseries that get talked about in the same way that movies get talked about in terms of cultural memory. And there are a few, of course, but... Interesting. That's, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I think it might have because it has the Scorsese touch. But I mean, in general... So he, he worked in TV and like something like yes. Vinyl... A failed HBO show after one season. Like, I think I got canceled after one, maybe two Did seasons. To help out with Boardwalk Empire? And yes, he helped yeah. with Boardwalk Empire, which again, is not a show that people talk about right That's now true. as being among the best shows of recent memory. I know at the time, I think it got some awards attention, it got some good reviews, and he was a part of, he directed a few episodes and I believe was a producer on it. But even so, I've never seen an episode of Boardwalk Empire, and I don't feel a burning desire to get to it in the same way that I do to the Scorsese movies that I haven't seen. And well, that's there, but partially there are, me, but... There are, there are exceptions to every rule. Yeah, There's David absolutely. Lynch's Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. There's um, Steven Soderbergh's The Nick that some people will, like, swear by. I've never seen a second of The Nick. No. But it's... I mean, even if you think further back, something like Roots... Roots was like a cultural event when yes. it came out in the 70s, and it's something that people still reference today. Yeah. Might be the only miniseries I know from the 70s. <laughs> and so, just, uh, this is my, my perspective as someone who preferences movies over other forms of visual media, certainly. But that that's why I'm kind of anti-miniseries, and I think it could have gotten memory hold. And just being, being this big event movie, sure. I think, is a bigger deal than it could have been. But let's also talk about the two movies that we will be seeing this week. Yes. Because on Friday, we will be seeing Before the Rest of America, and maybe for the only time this year, <laughs> uh, The Bike Riders, which is the new movie starring, oh man, it, it's, um, it's, 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 Christian. I, I, Elvis I, himself. No, it's not Austin Butler. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about, um, she, she was in Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer. <laughs> We've got dude who's really skinny from West Side Story, Mike Feist. <laughs> Feist. We've got my boy who's in the black suit and has a big tongue, Tom Hardy. Why? Why? How come that's how you describe Venom? Why is that? Why is that? That's creepy, Christian. I'm just gonna be real with you. Okay, and them in in bikes that go around and burn down bars. Yeah, it's and a, that's, that's awesome. The new film from Jeff Nichols, who people may know from Midnight Special or Take Shelter. See the guy that did Mud? Mud. Yes. Yes. It is an exciting movie. We won't be the first in America to see it. It did play at Telluride, I think. What what I'm saying is that it's been pushed from the release calendar indefinitely. Yes, it has been pushed. It is no longer coming out this fall, thanks to the ongoing SAG after strike because the studios refuse to pay the actors. Like so that I we did get to see it though. that, and, and it's, is it eligible for? Say that we love it. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going into it. I haven't automatically written my review for it. I don't do that. If I hate the movie, I hate the movie. But if we love it, can we still put it on our list if it doesn't come out this year? Sure. Cool. Yeah, it's it, an unfortunate victim of the strike. Will no longer be part of the award season conversation. I'm sure Austin Butler 
would have had a repeat campaign rolling, and who knows, maybe Jody Comer or maybe Tom Hardy. Him with a Chicago accent out there. Tom Hardy's, <laughs> Tom Hardy's indescribable accent in this movie is just a, a beautiful continuation of the, his life's work, which is to do as many silly voices as he can before he dies. And I'm all for it. This is I showing, support that. So do I. This is showing as part of AFI Fest, yes. another big film festival out here in Los Angeles. We participated in Beyond Fest at the beginning of the month, people may remember, and now we're wrapping October with another one. And we're also seeing a second movie with AFI Fest, and we're seeing it on Sunday, Christian. Yes. That movie is. Maestro. Yes. The new movie from Bradley Cooper, written, directed, produced, starring him as, uh, as, as Leonard Bernstein, and also starring Carrie Mulligan. People may I, remember that on this very podcast, you revealed to me that you did in fact get two tickets and yes, not I one. <laughs> After I got annoyed at you for only buying one ticket instead of buying two. So thanks for that, Absolutely. pal. <laughs> and we will get to partake in a couple of premieres, one of which will certainly have a strange feeling, being that the bike riders just got pushed, but one which should hopefully be pretty exciting, with hopefully Bradley Cooper as director being allowed to show up at Maestro and getting to experience that movie, which has gotten some really, really positive reviews from other film festivals around the world. So I cannot wait. I'm excited. I, I, I am, we're scouring the area. We're looking for him. We're going to grab me a picture. I think if you try to grab you a picture, that some security guards will grab you and they will move you out of the theater. And Wouldn't that be a great story to tell on this podcast the Monday after? You could, you could enjoy telling that story. I will enjoy my stream myself. But <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I hope if you don't you get removed. you saw Maestro without me... Because you got... Because I got removed by security? With Bradley Cooper. Yeah. I would go find a bow and arrow and shoot the projection. That would be a, that'd be a real shame. So let's just hope that you don't make any moves on Bradley Cooper and you get to enjoy the movie without intervention from security. Okay. Um, this... We are weird. We are very weird people. So that... <laughs> hot, hot off of us talking about you getting removed from a screening and shooting a projector with a bow and arrow. Yes, we are weird. This is true. Let's 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 go into let's go into talking about eight movies. Now these eight movies. Do you know where they can be found? Do you know where your movies can be found? I will look it up. I don't think all of them are streaming, but I'll look it up as I amazing. Can. Uh, and we're going to be going in chronological order. Two of our movies actually released on the same year, in the same month. And I made sure yes. that the one that released earlier went first. You were really trying to nail down that exact release date. But yes, we will be talking chronologically through some supernatural horror films as we share some recommendations here. We did try to go Hidden Gem, as I said. So again, I have not heard of all of Christian's choices. He has heard of mine, at least, but not, not seen them all, certainly. So we're doing our best to bring some movies to light. I will say... For some of my picks, it's definitely not, like, my favorite supernatural horror movie, but I think everything that I have is worth discussing. Right. What was your guiding principle, Christian? Beyond, beyond franchises, because I know you were trying to avoid that, or you could. I looked at premises that looked weird, and that was kind of how I started to watch movies. I also looked for availability. I mean, there was this great movie called Ghost Ship that... that I, I wanted to recommend, but it's not streaming anywhere. There was a I, an observable phenomenon on Letterboxd because that movie got put on Max earlier this year, and yeah. I saw probably five or six different followers log or people that I follow yeah. log that movie over the, the span of a month or two, <laughs> and then it was gone, which just makes me chuckle sometimes seeing those things happen on mass. Um, 
so that was also just what can I do in order to recommend something it is can I, I I wanted to give a variety of am I recommending it because I think it's very well made am I recommending it because it's funny am I recommending it because of the um, the special effects or the makeups or the prosthetics I was trying to not just recommend one specific type of thing for all four of my movies and I, I truly took to heart the um, you may never have heard that this thing existed kind of a thing yeah. What did you take into consideration? I was really just watching supernatural movies. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I there are s- we did choose different decades. We each yes. Uh, I there's yeah. a big gap for me because I have a movie from the 60s that we'll be starting with. I have a movie from the 70s, a movie from the 80s, and then something from 2020. So okay. I left a few decades out there. But I filled in those decades because Indeed you did. I have something from the 70s, 80s. 90s and 2000s the only movie i guess that we're missing is from the 2010s but i think 2010s onward i think horror started to become more widely seen it feels like it got harder to find something no one has heard of and that's just the way it goes with movies in the social media era where basically everything somebody has tweeted about it somebody's blogged about it somebody's included it on a top five list somewhere and it's harder to really truly find hidden gems, but when you go further back, there is still that sensation of finding something hidden in a director's filmography, or finding something off the beaten path, or you see that, oh, this inspired so-and-so when they were making this famous horror movie, and you can go back and find it. In the same way that you could if you were in a video store in the 90s, you were in a blockbuster or something, and the guy who knew, who had seen every movie at the counter could tell you, like, oh, if you want to get a real horror movie, go go get this. But that being said, let's start. We're not going to spend a big time talking about every single one of these, right. because there are eight movies, and there have been times when we've tried to dedicate ten minutes to eight movies each um, for each film, and it's just not been good. And thankfully, I have seen zero of your movies, and you've seen one of mine. So... <laughs> There's not a ton of conversation that may happen with these, but it'll be at least something we can share with with the other and with the listeners. Okay, let's start. We're going to start with you. Sell me on your first movie. And here we are. My first movie is The Haunting, which is directed by Robert Wise. And My boy. By Nelson Gidding. Yes, Robert Wise, who people will definitely know from The Sound of Music, West from West Side, Side Story. Story, from Star Trek The Motion Picture, mm-hmm. all kinds of great American films. The editor of Citizen Kane. The editor of Citizen Kane. How about that? What a guy. And Robert Wise and Nelson Gidding adapted the very famous book, The Haunting of Hill House, which was written by Shirley Jackson. This is the first filmed adaptation of it. There would be an adaptation in the 90s, I believe, and a widely liked miniseries by Mike Flanagan that's on Netflix that is... I've seen a couple of episodes, but I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the best way to describe that because I'm pretty sure it's not a direct adaptation of the book. I think it's sort of an expansion on and a spin yeah. on the book, but... Not to be confused with House on Haunted Hill. Not which, to be confused with House on Haunted Hill. But the titles are weirdly really similar. Yes. So, The Haunting follows the... This group of people who go to visit Hill House, this old and stately manor in the Massachusetts countryside, there has been a series of deaths and suicides and bizarre happenings at this house in the ensuing decades. 
And so a man by the name of Dr. John Markway, who has a interest in the supernatural and wants to try to prove some evidence of paranormal events occurring, brings some people out to research this house with him. And because of the strangeness of this endeavor, it's back in the 60s, of course, it's not like uh, now where we have paranormal adventure shows on HGTV or whatever channel shows those kinds of shows. There was one on Cartoon Network. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Markway brings some people out to investigate this house with them. The main character, if there is, well, she is the main character, is a woman named Nell, who's played by Julie Harris, and Nell's mother has recently passed away. She's, Nell herself is in her 30s, and she's been caring for her mother full-time. She's living with her sister and her sister's family, but they're not particularly nice to her, and so she really jumps at the chance to go take a, she calls it a vacation early on, to go investigate this haunted house. While there, she meets a woman named Theodora, who goes by Theo, who's played by an actress named Claire Bloom, and they bond pretty quickly. Uh, they also bond with Dr. Markway, as well as Luke, who is the distant relative of the family that owns Hill House, who is set to inherit it, and he wants to investigate the house to see how much he can sell it for. Luke is played by Russ Tamblin, who is Riff Wait, that's, in West yeah, Side Yeah, I was going to say, that dude's definitely familiar. So it's another collaboration with Robert Wise. The Haunting is a smashing success of atmosphere and production design. The The design of the house is the real MVP. The Hill House itself is said to be built within the world. It's built so that it has basically no sharp corners. There's a lot of rounding of the rooms. There's mirrors all over the place. So even inside, it looks strange. It looks Amazing. off kilter. Love it looks asymmetrical and there's being an old house there's all these weird things that go up in the night all these strange sounds that they start hearing and they have to wonder is it the house or is something going on and wise makes some great scary sequences happen and i think a lot of times movies this old don't really get credit for being scary but the haunting does have some really creepy moments as nell and theo at one point one runs into the other's room and you start hearing all these knocks at the door, these mysterious voices talking in the background and they just get, they get genuinely frightened and the knocking at the door gets louder and louder and louder and you really start wondering, is something going to burst in? And Wise is really great at dialing up those sequences to make you feel afraid. I think the one thing that limited me from really loving The Haunting is that I think the characterization gets a little bit funky getting had some conflict with shirley jackson who's the writer of the original novel okay because she viewed the novel as purely supernatural and getting saw it more metaphorical he sort of saw it as a, a woman losing her mind as a, being that kind of story Ah, okay and you can feel that tension from jackson's more pure original work and getting's more subtextual adaptation and it doesn't always work especially in the way that characters sometimes treat nell specifically her relationship with theo who can be very warm and inviting and funny at times, but that can easily flip on a dime to her being biting and sarcastic and almost cruel at times. So some of the character dynamics get a little bit thrown off by that tension between source material and adaptation, but really good performances, really great atmosphere, and some genuinely creepy and and even scary moments in a movie that's so old I'm not normally scared by (laughs) things of this age because they get so much more explicit and frightening later on in movie making years so that is the haunting i want to check it out for sure because robert wise is also a very methodical individual and Mm -hmm. did that come through like taking a lot of time 
say going from room to room to showcase. Yeah. yeah. And this is this is also a little bit longer. It's almost two hours. And sometimes the horror movie you get eighty eight minutes of, of scares and, and ghosts ghosts and ghouls, but this is a bit longer and, and yeah. being an editor himself, you know, he's not afraid to try to establish some pacing. So yeah, yeah. The Haunting is available on Max right now. I'm not sure if it will stay much longer through October, so definitely check it out. It's a classic that's worth your time. Now, we're going to stay with you. We are going to 1977, specifically February 1st of 1977. (laughs) Not to be confused with later February 1977, which will be your movie. Exactly. But talk to me about your next movie. My next movie is Suspiria, which a lot of people may know. It certainly received a lot more attention after the... 2018 remake from Luca Guadagnino, but this is the original supernatural mm-hmm. film from Dario Argento. He's 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 known as like the godfather of weird, random Italian horror, and more specifically of giallo. He's one of the the famous yeah, filmmakers yeah. within this subgenre, which is this distinctly Italian horror genre. Is that use of yellow a lot? Yeah, the, I mean. All colors. Uh, like, it's very saturated colors, very expressive and stylistic visuals. And giallos also often feature bloody violence. Serial killers are often the villains of these movies. Or if there's a more supernatural route, they're not afraid to have some people dying in crazy ways. And Suspiria is a movie that I watched actually a few months ago. It was not done in, a, in advance for this particular episode, but I knew that I wanted to include it because okay. it is such a fun time. I mean, Dario Argento is almost synonymous with... Um, how, what's the best word? He's synonymous definitely with, like, the occult of horror. I kind of, yeah. I mean, a lot of his movies do have... You know, it's more of, like, a natural, like, serial killer sure. going on as opposed to the occult. But Suspiria certainly uh, is established with the occult follows Susie Banyan, who is an American ballet student, played by Jessica Harper. She arrives in Germany to study at a prestigious German dance school. And that very night, when she gets there, late and in rain, she sees another student actually fleeing in terror. And Susie tries to go and get in. She can't. Thoroughly confused. And she goes the next day, and then is finally allowed in, where she also finds out the woman she saw fleeing died mysteriously, and what she doesn't know is that we the audience have seen this death and it's it's great it's just really (laughs) delightful horror filmmaking and it's bizarre and it sets a tone for the movie where you really wonder what the heck is going on at this dance school and as Susie gets more involved with the school strange things start happening she starts feeling sick and she passes out in the middle of her classes and bizarre things keep happening and Susie has to figure out what is going on at this school. Suspiria is a vibes masterpiece. Yay. I will just say Argento, it was my first experience with his films and I was I was hoping to watch more for this particular episode to see if another one more more off the beaten path that hasn't had a big remake recently, but didn't get to do that. Uh, but his it lived up his reputation where there is flashy expressive colors the entire time it is so visually fun and exciting to watch and especially when some of this supernatural conspiracy that's that's going on beneath the scenes starts to have details exposed and things get weirder and weirder how's the makeup and prosthetics i from what i can remember when they are employed they are employed well and because he's the producer of one of my movies okay very good yes um i will say like, 
I'm not the best person to talk about Suspiria because I watched it once a couple of months ago. And I also, while I was watching it, was like fighting off sleep because I was watching it late at night. You are really selling this movie to I, me. I know, I know. But it it is still super enjoyable as you are f- keeping your eyes open and forcing them. Because again, it is simply just so visually fun and exciting to watch. And I feel like it's the perfect entree into this world of weird, crazy Italian horror. Where gotcha. Argento himself worked a lot in Italy, of course, but this is an international production. It's set in Germany with an American actress speaking English in the lead role, and he made other movies where English is the primary language or that weren't set in Italy necessarily, but even something great about Suspiria is the the ending revelations are just, like, kind of crazy and don't even fully answer the nice. things that happened earlier on in the movie, but you kind of don't care by the time <laughs> you get there. And there's there, it's just a very fun movie. And interesting enough, when compared to the remake... Luca Guadagnino's version of this movie is like 40 minutes longer, something like that. So he really expands on the world and what's going on here. I'd love to see it someday and see how it compares. But for now, I can highly recommend the original Suspiria, which right now, it was streaming on Canopy, which is where I watched it, but it's no longer there. Actually, I incorrectly, it is there. It's a variety of places. I, I misread the site that I'm looking at, but it's on Canopy. It's on Fubo TV, uh, on Paramount Plus as well, actually, I believe, if you have Paramount Plus. So it's available a few places. I would definitely recommend you check it out, especially if you're trying to get off the beaten path and see some more weird European horror movies. Love it. Okay. Now, my movie, which came out not February 1st, but February 11th, so two number ones. (laughs) Ten days later, we get Christian's first pick. Uh, From 1977, it is The Sentinel. Now, The Sentinel... Okay, let's, let's, let's get the basics out of the way. Screenplay is by... Jeffrey Convitz and also Michael Winner. Michael Winner also directed the movie. Um, I, it's based on a book. Here's by Jeffrey Convitz. Yes. Now, here's the thing about the Sentinel. We got. Um, I, I shouldn't spoil this movie, right? No, you shouldn't. We're recommending it so the people okay, cool. can find it. It's allegedly a hidden gem. Yes, yes, so yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> so we got we got Homegirl. Homegirl. She's Allison. Allison moves into this apartment. Now, this apartment, they only tell her about one of her neighbors, but a lot of her neighbors are really weird. Uh, so, it, it, there's like a lesbian couple beneath her, and when she goes to visit them, they kind of-ish start having sex in front of her. <laughs> what? <laughs> there's, there's, this, there's this neighbor who's in the, in the floor above her who like invites her over to a birthday party for his cat. Um, there's a there's That's great yeah course. there's a blind priest on in the in the top floor who just always looks out the window but we don't know what he's looking at because he's blind now uh, she is dating this dude named Michael and it's weird because they had been living together for two years and he's about to propose and at that moment she decides to leave and get her own apartment for herself. Good timing. Uh, yes, great timing. Oh, Jeff Goldblum is in this movie as a photographer. It is like one of his earliest roles that I can remember. <laughs> now, this is, this movie, really weird things start to happen to her. She's a model. They start to happen to her while she is modeling. They start to happen to her around her neighbors. The police get involved. And let's just say that the supernatural elements behind this are 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 real real batshit crazy (laughs) 
because there's like a final reveal-ish thing because everyone is trying to investigate to figure out what it is that she is seeing, what it is that is going on. Like there's one part where she takes out a book and every single page looks the same to her. And uh, boyfriend, boyfriend's like, every single one of these pages is different. What are you talking about? And she goes, it's all gibberish. And she starts to write out words in Latin that she's reading from the book. And we have to go and figure out what these Latin words are. And the final reveal is wonderful. So the creature designs are creepy. It It's just, it's just creepy. Now, um, it's, it's definitely a movie that is in the vein of Rosemary's Baby. It is definitely a movie that is playing very much so with biblical tropes. It is not at all biblically accurate. Like, not <laughs> one bit. But you are kind of watching this movie thinking, what? What is going on? But there is an answer. That is The Sentinel. I believe it is streaming right now on Netflix. Christian, I just have to say, yes. I'm really excited to watch The Sentinel. Not only because it has uh, absolutely abysmal critical score. I guess it got pretty critically revived at the time. Everyone's just the, saying it's the Rosemary's Baby ripoff. And you know what? Maybe. But <laughs> the, the, the cast is absolutely out of control. Um, uh, Christina Raines is in the leading role here. But we also have Chris Sarandon. Yes, we do. Martin Balsam. Yeah. John Carradine. Jose Ferrer. Ava Gardner. Arthur Kennedy. Burgess Meredith. Eli Wallach. Christopher Walken. You mentioned Jeff Goldblum. Jerry Orbach. And Beverly D'Angelo, and even Tom Berenger in a tiny role. If you just look at who you said in this so cast, many names that I bet you most people who are listening do not know. Well, I'm I'm sure that they will know some of them. I mean, Burgess Meredith, he is in yes, the Rocky Burgess movies. Meredith, yeah, Eli absolutely. Wallach is in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Christopher Walken's Christopher Walken. But there's an unbelievable amount of Oscar nominations and even wins in this cast. <laughs> just looking, I'm, and people I'm, hate this movie. <laughs> and people hate this movie. So I can't tell you how excited I am to see this. All of these incredibly pedigreed actors, some yes at the beginning of their careers, but many others who were seasoned at this time, coming to participate. It's a great whodunit. In well, not whodunit. It's a great mystery movie, bizarre horror movie that I. And simply just excited to watch. So thank you for recommending The Sentinel. I look forward to it. There's a lot of nudity. Just, just be warned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, good for the 70s, I guess. Let's let's get weird with it. The, the MPA is here. The Hays Code is gone. <laughs> We're putting naked people on screen. Um, Alright, let's go to your movie, which is our first movie from the 1980s. Yes! Speaking of... John Carpenter, who you talked about earlier on in the show, you wanted to leave him off because he's a very known director, but I wanted to leave him on because I love John Carpenter. And although a lot of people know his biggest movies, they know Halloween, they know The Thing, they know Big Trouble in Little China, I have been watching a lot more of his movies. And one that really stood out to me recently was The Fog, which did is... Did I recommend this one too? I believe you did. It's actually yeah. what encouraged me to get it. And I would have put a different... Carpenter supernatural movie on this list. In the mouth of madness? Yes, but okay. <laughs> here I am with The Fog. So The Fog is 1980 for Carpenter, so shortly after Halloween. It stars, it's sort of an ensemble structure, although not like an ensemble cast, it's just people who were separate for most of the movie, but stars Adrienne Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, and her second movie role after Halloween, so thanks. This is only her second role? Yes, I, I think so. She may have had something come out earlier in 1980, but I don't know if she did. Uh, 
Tom Atkins, Janet Lee, so some Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee mother-daughter action, and Hal Holbrook, also in a small role here, tells a story of a town in Northern California, a fictional town called Antonio Bay, where on the night of the town's centennial, mm -hmm. some very strange things start happening after a mysterious fog rolls into town. Yep. And I guess it starts, the, the fog starts showing up before, the night before the centennial, but it what the fog is not just representing but is brought on by is events from the town's past mm -hmm. and what i i really love to two major major aspects of the fog but number one another really good vibe movie the adrian barbeau plays a radio station operator like she runs a station out of a lighthouse and she is the voice over the airwaves and she affects this like sultry radio dj giving this kind of voice telling you all of the news you need to know before playing the next it. song loved and it. she's she's so good especially as you start to see that facade fall apart as she feels more desperate by the strange things that she's noticing and seemingly other people are not but I love the fog. Yes, the, the fog, fog looked great. Very well executed in terms of special effects, where it doesn't really look that hokey or cheesy. the The effects look good, and just this this Northern California vibe of the town, like it's the music too, which John Carpenter often does his own music. This is one of his better scores, in my opinion, in terms of just really establishing where we are, the feeling of this town, and then the feeling of supernatural unease as these strange things start happening, as the fog rolls in. But I also loved what the the fog and the threat that it brings stood for thematically. Because as we've talked about, using these supernatural movies to reflect on some of the themes that they're playing with and whether or not they are successful, I think the fog is really successful in thematically exploring this American anxiety of the past coming back to haunt us. Okay. And we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a movie very much... I mean, it's it's in the past. And it's a, a historical telling of terrible events that happened in our country. So it's interesting just that it came up with The Fog, which is fictional, but talks about this... Or, or kind of covers this anxiety of the things that we had to do to establish this country coming back to kill us <laughs> or maybe just haunt us in the end and i really just dug that theme i think it's an interesting it's interestingly worked into this movie in some of the narrative choices that carpenter makes uh, he wrote this movie with deborah hill who was his producer early on in his career and, and co-writer often and I, I really dug the thematic exploration plus the vibes that they're working with in these great sequences when the fog rolls in and people start to die. It's I, I just found it to be really successful and I, had I love a the ton first kills. It. Yeah, yeah. So I I co-sign. There's this there's this fishing boat which uh, experiences the fog before anybody else does. They have no yeah. idea what's coming and they they get it. But wanted to mention the fog is currently streaming on freebie i believe which is a formerly imdb tv it's an amazon owned service that is it also on something else because i'm pretty sure i watched it on something else i'm pretty sure it was recently on max but according to justwatch.com and the good people at just watch it's on freebie right now it's not on max i got it from cinephile the video store that i use out here in la it might be on Hoopla or Canopy. I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure... I didn't watch it on Freebie. I'm just trying to remember what I watched it on. Wanted to quickly mention, In the Mouth of Madness, which you mentioned to me. Yeah. 
fantastic Lovecraftian riff that Carpenter directed, and Christine, another more yes. supernatural movie, a Stephen King adaptation about a haunted, haunted car, car. <laughs> that Carpenter directed. I, I would put In the Mouth of Madness kind of on the level of The Fog and Christine a step behind, but have all three... Have you seen The Thing? I have seen The Thing. Okay. That's, that's more science fiction It to is me. more science fiction. It's, uh, yeah. It, it's explicitly about an alien coming to Earth, but The Thing also... But what about the fantastic. first alien movie, though? It's about an alien. But, okay... <laughs> A different question. What for, about what about it? I guess is your is my no question. different question for people than to ponder on their own time. Can a science fiction movie be a horror movie? Oh, absolutely. Supernatural. I was like, no. Oh yes, there we go. There we go. Never <laughs> mind. Horror. Yeah, no, I, would, I, I, get would, what you're I would classify the thing and Alien as horror movies. Not not more heavy on the sci-fi, but still some horror elements for sure. Okay. All right, right, Christian. We are going back to the great land of Italy as you share your next recommendation here from 1985. Produced by Dario Argento. Produced by Dario Argento. Screenplay credit, it looks like, as well. Yes, and uh, also screenplay by Lamberto Bava, who is the director of this movie, and also screenplay by Dardano Sacchetti and Franco Ferrini. Now, Demons, it's weird. I, I watched this movie, and it felt like everyone's lines of dialogue had been dubbed over. And, uh, but they are, I, I didn't know if it was, they were dubbing over the Italian, but it looked like they were saying the words in English. Who knows? And I checked at the bottom of the Wikipedia page. It says English language film. So, uh, yeah, dubbed over dialogue, but great. Now, Demons is, is, is about a weirdly relatable concept, which is people oh. get tickets to go see a pre-screening of a movie, of a movie that will come out soon, and they go there. Now, that is something that you and I may or may not have done in the past. We have enjoyed our fair share of, of screenings, and yes. especially pre-screenings. We have, we've participated, yes. Um, now, these movies, um, when, when these people go to this movie, it turns out the movie is about people who turn into demons, and then one by one, the people in this movie theater begin to also turn into demons. <laughs> Hell yeah, they do. <laughs> I was like, oof. This, <laughs> oof. This puts a... This, um, feels like a personal attack. Feels a little bit like a personal attack. I would hate to turn into a demon in the theater. This is, this is relatable and true. Exactly. Now, these people, demons, these demons, their design is incredible. And honestly, I have never used this word more... I, I, I could not think of a better word. It is disgusting. Like, it is gross. It is disgusting how they turn into the blood, the goop, the yellow, the nails, the the tongue, the teeth, the... Oh, man, it makes your stomach just, like, do you, several flips. You have me at goop, Christian. I'm in. <laughs> I am in. Now, now, also, let me... Let me be real with you. Okay. Like, 30 minutes into the movie... Does it forget that it's a narrative? Yes, it does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> narrative is a little bit overrated just as a concept, so. But it's it's like, what other creature design can we get? Now, these people are also doing some random things in the movie theater. Like, they're, um, there's, this is, this is not a spoiler. There's this guy who is blind, and the person who helps him walk around is his daughter. And they sit down, and this dude sits next to his daughter, and they start to make out and leave him and start to have sex. 
and that's that's when the demons find them. Christian, you're just you're getting your rocks off watching these these supernatural horror films. You're looking for the most depraved films you can find. Oh my, bro! I'm watching Robert Wise classics, and you're out here. Oh no! This is horny on main. This is this is human depravity that is on the screen, and it's amazing. But demons, um, I highly recommend. Highly, highly recommend y'all. You should you should go watch it. Will you come out of that movie thinking, I don't know, Cheerios and Happy Thoughts? No. But you will be like, that was sick. And whichever way you intend to use the word sick, both are correct. I, I just want to give a nice hearty shout out to the great nation of Italy. And <laughs> all of their contributions to horror films over the years. They really, they really participated in an important, an important way. <laughs> Beyond Argento. Uh, there's there's other great luminaries of horror films like uh, Lucio Fulci and Mario Baba. There, there's a lot of names out there who have made many well-known and beloved by some <laughs> Italian horror movies that I want to see more of. Because I've you barely like, scratched the surface. If you like Demons, there is a sequel. Demons 2. <laughs> Keep your eye out. Is Demons streaming anywhere right now? I saw it on Canopy, I believe. Perfect. Yes. We stick with you, Christian. Yes. We're not going to miss the 90s. It's 1999, but we're not going to miss the 90s. And we're going from off-the-beaten-path Italian horror movies and poorly-regarded box office bombs to a movie fronting one of the biggest movie stars alive at the time. And that movie is... So the movie is End of Days. I'm looking at the bottom of the, of the beginning paragraph on Wikipedia. The film received largely negative reviews. Now... Excellent choice. <laughs> Directed by Peter Hyams, written by Andrew W. Marlowe, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. So the premise is, 1999 is about to be is 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 about to end. It's about to be the end of the millennium, which means that Satan has one day <laughs> to, <laughs> to choose a wife and sire a child. Oh. Yes. 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 Now, how did that conversation with God go? I wonder. <laughs> so again, I don't think this movie is biblically accurate, even though they do read scripture once. Oh, good. And they, um, there's this line that says God's not going to take care of us. He tells us to take care of ourselves, which I also don't really think is biblical. Now that being said, Satan's here and he's really horny. Satan is looking to sire a child. Yes. Um, and and uh, it is up to Arnold Schwarzenegger's team of special ops to stop him. Because if he, if, if he Absolutely, yeah. sires this kid, then, then literally Satan builds his kingdom on earth. Well, that would be no good. That would not be good, no. Can't. Can't let Satan establish his kingdom on earth. Yes. Now, the Vatican is also trying to get involved because it is of two minds. The Pope thinks that they should protect the woman. Um, but there is a sect of the Vatican that thinks that they should kill her. And that God will forgive them of that sin. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm all in. No, this isn't action horror film it is 
it is horror. Like, bro, Satan turns into some weird shapes and takes over people. And and the the um, figures he is turning into are scary. Um, there's a lot of fire. Not that fire is representative of a horror movie necessarily, but there's a lot of fire. You know, because hell has fire in it. Um, there, yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. It's been said. It has been said. Um, it has been said. Now, apparently Sam Raimi and Guillermo del Toro were offered to direct this project. They did not. Now, this, this movie has some great confrontations between Schwarzenegger and the devil, where Schwarzenegger says, you think you're bad? You're a choir boy compared to me. And the devil does not take that kindly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you think you're bad? You like a choir boy. I can't do Arnold very well. <laughs> but Kevin Polak is in this movie. Gabriel Byrne is in this movie. Gabriel Byrne is Satan in this movie. Robin Tunney is in this movie. It is. It is. It is really weird. Um, it is. It is. Um, uh, does not hold up well when it comes to male-female relations. Um, and uses grief. As, 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 as just like the basis horror movies and grief baby Let, let's I mean those those two have been making making magic for years now decades but this is such a good time this is such a good time y'all should watch this now Christian you did mention Sam Raimi and Guillermo del Toro were offered the film before Peter Hyams stepped in the role of Jericho Kane, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's name in this movie was originally written for Tom Cruise <laughs> Liv Tyler was the first choice for the woman who's identified as the perfect lady to bear Satan's child. And, and then, then it was going to go to Kate, Kate Winslet. Winslet. And she dropped out and Robin Tunney ultimately replaced her. Now, I also have to say, there's some negative negative behind-the-scenes stories here. Uh, Miriam Margulies, who is an actor a lot of folks will recognize. She has a, a role here. She complained about Schwarzenegger's behavior on set and some comments about the film in 2016. Later in 2022, she's specifically accused him of deliberately farting in her face while on set, and Schwarzenegger did not respond to the allegations. So watch watch with your own caution, folks. <laughs> Arnie farting in Bormir Markley's face. Which, I'm, I, I, you know, it's a shame if he was being mean and unnecessarily sophomoric with I, a, I, a veteran yes. of the acting game like Miriam Margulies, but also... Exactly. Arnold Schwarzenegger farting in Miriam Margulies' face. Is she? A, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> is she a dame? She might be. I'm trying to check. Miriam. She Mar- is. She is. Yes. She is. OBE. Most excellent order of the British Empire. No, but wait. I don't. Is she okay? Cool. So <laughs> that's like someone trying to fart in Julia Andrews or Helen Mirren or Judy Dench. Yeah, Judy Dench. Yes. Yeah, just. Simply imagine it. Uh, Christian, we yes. now keep the ball rolling with critically uh, well-regarded masterpiece films and turn to your final choice, So, which my, is a film called... Soul Survivors, but... but <laughs> That's but S-O-U-L. Soul, S-O-U-L, yes. Now, this movie, written and directed by Stephen Carpenter... It stars Melissa Sage Miller, Casey Affleck, Wes Bentley, Eliza Dushku. Luke Wilson is in here. Luke Wilson's only real role is to play like a hot priest for a couple scenes. Um, you know, bought it. 
Luke Wilson, very, very attractive man. Um, I'm on record about Luke Wilson, though. Now, Soul Survivors. There is, there is such a thing as, like, having competently written <laughs> movies or having actors with emotional depth and complexity or knowing how to use score and lighting and editing. And this movie doesn't have any of that. Good. Great. <laughs> Hidden gem. No. Hidden aluminum pan is what Soul Survivors is. Look, if you... This, this, this movie's pretty awful. <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for um, characters who know what they're doing, or maybe who do something other than run, or where by the end of the movie, you know what the movie's about, this movie's not for you. Uh, <laughs> it's... The, the premise of this movie is just as she's about to go away for college, the main character, whose name is Cassie, um, gets into a car crash with her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, and her ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend in the car. One of them ends up dying, and then afterwards she starts to see like the people who were at the party that she was at right before her crash. And I'm not honestly sure what happens, really. Like, she's on college, and she starts getting chased by some people who are wearing some random mask. Um, and I'm not really sure where it goes from there. I know that she likes to swim, so she joins the swim team. Um, Luke Wilson's there as... <laughs> I'm just smiling and nodding. That's all I got for you on this one. The, 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 none of the, all of the actors kind of look confused whenever they're not specifically told to have an emotion. So, uh, you've heard of RBF. This is resting perplexed face because I don't... RPF, if you will. Yes, they, they really don't know what is going on while on set. Um, the editing um, is disorienting. And by the end of the movie, it's, it's like tried to be meta and to go back on its story like eight different times. This is a movie that is so amazing, though, because you need to grab a beer... Get a bunch of friends, talk through the elements of the movie, and laugh as you're watching it. And please tell me that is how you experienced this movie. I experienced it. I was watching it on freebie, and so um, like there were ads every 12 minutes, and I kept laughing every single time the ads came up. It is like the lighting work is kind of non-existent. It, it, it is so wonderful, though. It's a miracle this movie got made and that we have it. I'm so happy. Seems like it. Um, now it's it's um, it has not held up well. And honestly, a tad misogynistic. Um, this movie, Chris. <laughs> I'm gonna interject here. I when you told me about it because I'd never heard of it. I was looking at the Wikipedia page and I asked you to guess the Rotten Tomato score. Yep. You started at 20, and I had to say lower four different times until you got to the accurate guess of four percent. Yes. On Rotten Tomatoes. Is there the log line like like Rotten Tomatoes normally does? They they do not have a critical consensus, as they call it, for Soul Survivors. At least not on Wikipedia. Um, yeah. Uh, so JoeBlow.com rated the film four out of ten. Um, here you quote, go, Christian. Here you go. The critics' yeah. consensus from Rotten Tomatoes: Soul Survivors stock characters, and 
utter lack of suspense gives viewers little reason to attempt deciphering the confusing plot. 4% from critics, 26% from audiences. Um, no, it's, it's truly awful. Uh, Casey Affleck is, though this is maybe the happiest he has been in a movie. All kinds of Oscar winners in your choices tonight, Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's highly, highly recommended. You will not believe what you are seeing. The acting is bad. The writing is poor. The lighting is dismal. The editing is perplexing. And I highly recommend it. Christian Views. Put it on the poster. Yep. Uh, from, from the producers of I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legend. And the director of The Dorm That Dripped Blood comes Soul Survivors. Yes. I gotta say, I clicked on the dorm that dripped blood in Letterbox, and it features a man getting what looks like a power drill to the back of the skull while he leans over a sink. So oh, I'm there's, into this movie. There's a power drill in Soul Survivors. <laughs> All right, Christian. May, may I share our final film here? My my fourth and final pick. You're Unless watch, you have more you're, that you have to say about Soul Survivors. You're gonna watch Soul Survivors, right? <laughs> Not on Freebie, but. <laughs> Maybe someday. Okay, cool. My final pick, we are skipping the 2010s. Sorry to the 2010s. And we are going to 2020, the year the world shut down, as we talk about a recent... It's a hidden gem in a way, but it's a movie that has been talked about as a hidden gem for three years now, so I understand that people have already heard of it, but that movie is His House, which is written and directed by uh, Remy Weeks from a story by Felicity Evans and Toby Venables. It stars Wunmi Mosaku, who a lot of people will recognize, actually, because she has a part in Loki over both season one and season two, as well as Sope Dorisu. They play a couple who are fleeing South Sudan as refugees. They're fleeing with their daughter, and during their travel across the English Channel to try to get to England, the boat that they're in capsizes and not everybody survives, including their daughter. And they end up in England without her, and they receive government housing. And they get there and they try to assimilate because they're warned by the authorities who place them in their housing that this is very important for assimilation, for being approved for your full visa. You can't get a job. You have to live on the money that we provide you. You can't move houses, etc., etc. There's a lot of rules to it. Meanwhile, they start experiencing haunting almost around their house which is in terrible and rundown condition and they even start seeing faces in holes in the walls and uh, bowl is the husband and rial the wife uh, rial shares a story that she heard as a little girl about an apeth this night witch who haunted a man from her village and she believes that an apeth has followed them to england and is haunting them for something that they have done wrong that we don't know about. His house is, I mean, received a lot of critical attention and a lot of positive reviews for both its really effective atmosphere, really good scares, mixed with this social commentary. Obviously, these two characters are refugees. They have escaped to England, and they are trying to attain a visa and the right to stay. And it's a, a great movie both about this haunting situation that they're experiencing but also giving it a very specific, like some cultural specificity. This Apeth Night Witch 
folkloric figure is distinctly African. He's not a type of witcher warlock that shows up in American or English films normally. And that cultural specificity plus the the, just the, the thematic exploration with these two refugees trying to assimilate and struggling with it, plus the grief they're experiencing over the loss of their daughter, and all these scares that are happening, just really combines together in a really potent combination. I It's on Netflix, and I know that people have been discovering it over the last few years, especially after it got a lot of praise in 2020. It released at Sundance that did, year. Yeah. And then any theatrical release was inhibited by the pandemic. It ultimately released in October of 2020, but yeah. pretty sure it's just been on Netflix ever since. I, I'm, I can't quite remember if it ever got a theatrical release, but... I don't think so. Yeah. It, it's just a really strong film from Remy Weeks. I think this is his debut film, so... Yes, it's a it's a really strong debut, and it, it's ninety six percent higher on Rotten Tomatoes than the last movie we discussed. <laughs> and indeed, it is. It's got a crisp one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> from the critics. But it, it's again, it's this is just a very good movie, and the way that it explores the recent immigrant experience is compelling drama as it yeah. is, because Rial <clears throat> is really struggling to assimilate. She is struggling to wear quote-unquote English clothing and speak English so that she can practice and, and get better with it. And Bull is insistent on changing the way he dresses, only speaking in English, changing the way that they eat, redecorating the house, doing all of these things to make sure that they can try to fit in and assimilate. And... Is it scary? Yes, okay. it, is, it is scary. It, it's... I will... You know, we talked about The Babadook last week and how that movie, like, was genuinely unnerving and heart-pounding at times. And while his house didn't quite get there, there are a few moments when you start seeing things around the house, just like they do, that are genuinely frightening. There's a great bit where the house, after they move in, the power isn't working. So they... Oh, no. Bull is working on rewiring it himself. And the night that he finally figures it out, there's a great bit where things start appearing when the lights are off and disappearing when the lights are on. And it's used really effectively in a great okay. sequence by Weeks. Plus, there's some really evocative sequences where they go back in a flashback style to Sudan. And you sort of see their old life. And you can get some narrative reveals that are pretty shocking and surprising. So, that's his house. Uh, very recent movie, but it's been on Netflix for a few years. And Is it the best movie out of the four that you've seen? Out of the four that I've seen, I I don't know. I... I, I I might put The Fog number one. Okay. Um, just my favorite from there. But I also really like Suspiria. I'd like to give it another watch someday when I'm fully cognizant, but really enjoyed Suspiria. His house, definitely up there. The Haunting, for me, is one worth recommending and one I think people should see as a, a great horror classic. But in terms of my own personal enjoyment, a little bit lower on a, of a tier than the others that I've talked about today. I would say that of, my, of mine, by a mile, The Sentinel is the best movie. But you, we're you talking about on some interesting choices <laughs> critically. Which one do I want to invite people over and watch? Soul Survivors. <laughs> and look, that's the fun of horror movies: is that sometimes a bad horror movie is as fun of a movie to watch uh, as it can be. And a, I'd rather watch a right. bad horror movie than a mediocre drama. Absolutely, I'd rather watch a bad horror movie than a bad comedy or. Oh, a, a bad comedy is bad. A bad action movie, you know? Yeah, like. Horror movies yeah. just they they have a, a particular sweet spot that they occupy in terms of in, in movie enjoyment. 
that when they're good, they're good, and sometimes when they're bad, they're good too, you know? So this is really fun, and I'm glad we could do some homework, explore the wide world of supernatural horror films, and I'm glad we could do that, Christian. You want to quickly recount your list for folks? Yeah, so my list is The Sentinel from 1977, it is Demons from 1985, it is End of Days from 1999, and Soul Survivors from 2001. And for me, I have The Haunting from 1963, Suspiria from 1977, The Fog, 1980, and His House from 2020. And folks, that keg is tapped out. That is Supernatural Horror, as covered here on Cinema on Tap. It was a good month, Christian. We saw some classics. We saw some recent hits. We watched, you watched Soul Survivors. I mean, it's it's been a month for the history books, I gotta say. How do you feel having curated this month for us? I don't know. I was, look... Um, I think that when it comes to awards talk, one of these movies is uh, um, has very strong chances in two of our categories uh, the, of the ones that we've actually seen. In terms of fun, I feel like I've had more fun doing research for this month than I normally do. Um, so, I don't know. I'm excited to continue to explore the genre. I think you will be the one in charge of October next year. But who knows, maybe we do, originally, maybe you'll do Haunted Dolls, or maybe maybe Haunted, or... We're just going to do an Annabelle movie each week. We'll get Annabelle, Annabelle the Creation, and what's the third Annabelle movie? Annabelle, I, I don't know. Annabelle something? You know? Annabelle something. Uh, maybe sci-fi <laughs> horror or something that we should explore in the future. Werewolves, zombies, Draculas. Slashers. I, We've already done Slashers. I did Slashers actually. last year. I might just do it again. Why slashers not? part two, yeah. I mean, slasher sequels, baby. Or, oh, yeah, oh, yo, Slasher sequels, like like Friday the 13th part two, or, or I don't know, oh, Halloween two, or Scream two, or. <laughs> we could so do many. We could do a whole year's worth of Slasher sequels months because Slashers get sequels thrown out like candy. So, remember, <laughs> we can have fun with that. Remember one month? Not, you were in charge last year when we did Slashers, but the year before it was horror movies and their eventual sequels that yes. rebooted the franchise up until that point. Specifically, same name sequels. Is same that, that's, name sequels. That's how you angled it for us. So we did Candyman, we did Halloween, and what was the third one we did? It was Blair Witch Project and Blair, Blair Witch. Witch Project. Yeah, so slight difference there, but yes. both, I mean, one is subsumed in the name of the other. Indeed. Um, now, speaking of horror movies, tell the listeners what we'll be doing next week. Yeah, we'll be doing a hard shift uh, away from <laughs> horror movies. So I was thinking about what to do, and I had an idea that got stuck in my craw for November that I just could not get rid of. And so we will be looking at the wonderful world of Disney in November Amazing. because we're celebrating... We, they are celebrating <laughs> Disney 100 this year, 100 years of Walt Disney Studios and their, their newest film, Wish, is releasing in November and is being marketed, at least, as the culmination of all of these efforts. And so, Christian and I will be traveling through the history of Disney, looking at some of their classic films and just reflecting on some of these movies that, at least for me, were a big part of my childhood. What about you, Christian? Uh, yes, it's, it's one of those... And here's where I think my Peruvian family did what American families did. We have, to this day, a lot of Disney movies on VHS. Yep. Because it would be the thing where you would go out whenever, uh, what was it, the Disney Vault, whenever the Disney Vault would open once every seven years, you would buy the the, the VHS tapes. You would put them on, and that's what we had. And 
Um, I have some questions just in terms of clarification. Now, we're not going to tell them what movies will be each week, right? We're just going to tell them what next week is. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I, I do want to leave room to change something out if we need to. Amazing. So, um, Do we want to tell them what we, do, we will be doing the final week? Yeah, sure. Okay. So the way that this month will look is I will be structuring each week based on a particular era in Disney animation history. So if you are out of the loop, people have gone back, whether pop culture historians, film critics, or just fans of Disney have structured their history in terms of eras. So the very beginning is the golden age. Everybody knows about the Disney Renaissance from the 90s. There's these different eras, so they've been called, and we'll be looking at a different one week by week, and we'll end by reviewing Wish, as well as sharing our top five Disney movies for our own respective lists. And that's where my question is. For top five Disney movies, it is just Disney, right? It is not Disney Pixar. It is not Disney Marvel. And yes. it's, it, it's just Disney animated? Yeah, we're, we're focusing Disney animation here. Amazing. Disney, obviously, they've been doing live action forever, but the history of Disney really does... When people think of Disney and Disneyland, Disney World, they think of seeing Mickey Mouse and seeing all of these animated characters, seeing the princesses. And So I'm focusing on Disney animation this month, celebrating the form, too. We don't always do a ton of animated movies here on the show. They've obviously cropped up in months, but I don't know if we've done a full month devoted to animation since Studio Ghibli, which was quite a while ago. So we'll be focusing purely on animated films and talking about them at the end of the month. But next week, we'll be starting at the beginning looking at the Golden Age, and specifically talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the film that started it all, and its follow-up, Pinocchio. So it should be a very fun week here on Cinema on Tap. I remember Pinocchio being incredibly scary. Like, Pinocchio frightened me as a child, and honestly, I think Pinocchio's going to frighten me now. <laughs> These two movies specifically, I have not <clears throat> seen in well over 20 years, because I'm pretty sure I got frightened of them as a child, too. So, <laughs> we'll be getting some vengeance on these movies, watching them now, <laughs> and talking about our thoughts as grown-ups, reflecting on these Disney classics. I have some friends who work for Disney right now. I'm wondering if maybe I should invite them on to give the... Honestly, to speak for the company. <laughs> Yes, uh, now bringing on Pete Doctor, head of uh, <laughs> Studios. Nah, Pete Doctor, if you're out there, thank you for everything you've given the world of film. But until next week, of course, thanks so much for listening, folks. We had a blast talking supernatural horror this month of October, and we're looking forward to talking some Disney classics here in November. So I hope you stay tuned with us as we tap a brand new keg in November. Until we get to next week, there are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if applicable. Helps us reach new listeners and it warms our hearts to see those positive reviews come in. So please continue to do that and we thank you for it. You can also send us an email to cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. If you watch Soul Survivors and you email us your thoughts on Soul Survivors, I will buy you a movie ticket to a movie of your choice. Christian will buy you a movie ticket if you watch us, watch the movie Soul Survivors and send us your review. So please do that. I'd love to see Christian start paying for folks to see some good movies after they watch Soul Survivors. You can also let us know No, you can't say that. You haven't seen it. It's atrocious. You can't say it's bad. You haven't seen it. I'll trust you on it, Christian. (laughs) Also, if you have thoughts on just the wide world of Disney, would love to know it. Especially if you have a particular era that you love. Whether it's the Renaissance, the Golden Age, or one of the other eras in between. Please let us know. And if you have a favorite Disney movie, we'd love to shout out some listener favorites here on the show as we move through Disney history over the next few weeks. 
And, of course, you can follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I am so happy right now with the movies that we have been digging into to see because it's just amazing when you can find a movie that almost no one else has watched. Um, that being said, I'm also happy because T-minus however many days until potentially Bradley Cooper and I are in the same vicinity. We're going to be in the same room as Bradley Cooper. It's going to be great. We're going to go from talking hidden gems to talking some of the most famous movies of all time. It's going to be a good few weeks here coming up on Cinema on Tap, and we hope you're there with us, listeners. We love you. We appreciate you. And until next time, thanks for listening. Watch Soul Survivors. Watch Soul Survivors, but thanks for listening. (laughs)